This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, March 11th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Smart seeks input for added Norwood and Lawson service, a day in the life of a miner with Vinton Cole, one book, one canyon, chases snow, and a mountain weather forecast. But first, KOTO informs the public about nonprofit events and provides organizations an opportunity to promote them. KOTO believes in lifting up other nonprofits. This is how we all succeed and continue to provide for our community. Show your support for your favorite nonprofit community radio station by going to koto.org to donate. And thank you. The San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation is continuing to prepare to add an additional bus to the Norwood route. Speaking at a smart board meeting this week, operations manager and senior planner Carrie DeStefano says the transit body is circulating surveys with the Norwood commuters to gauge what the best timing for an additional bus would be. I actually pass them out on the bus. Um, unfortunately, we haven't gotten a huge response. Right now, we still only have had eight that have been returned. I, I'd like to wait on the decision for this um, until we get a few more. So far, DeStefano says the current preference is for an added 11 a.m. departure from Norwood to Telluride and a 10 p.m. return. The board suggests reaching out to the town of Norwood and the Lone Cone Library for help getting more responses. DeStefano explains they want closer to 30 or 40 before making a final decision on timing for a new midday Norwood bus. SMART is also surveying Lawson Hill riders to see when they would want added service. A cursory glance suggests that probably the preferred time to to add service on that one would be between that 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. where we have a, a pretty large gap. SMART Executive Director David Averill notes the added service isn't just coming out of the blue. This is a project that was in our five-year strategic operating plan, uh, which we've been slowly chipping away at over the last three years. We took a time out because of the COVID, um, but this is part of that effort on track and implement some of those projects that were vetted as part of that process. Um, so it's not just a, a brand new thing. It's actually been talked about for quite a while. Off-season service is also approaching for the transit body. The last day of winter operation for the gondola is Sunday, April 3rd. As usual, buses will run between Telluride, Lawson Hill, and Mountain Village until the gondola reopens in May. This year's schedule has some minor changes in timing. Here's Avril. Uh, There's some little nuances, like we're adding five minutes for a shift change that's not in the schedule, um, things like that. But the route itself hasn't changed at all. Um, But we've actually zeroed in. So the reason we even went down this path um, was to kind of hopefully school serve the school times a bit better during the off season. Um, but then it becomes a balancing act because we have to serve commuters at the same time and not everything always lines up perfectly. Still, Averill feels they've accomplished that balancing act well. I think we're in the sweet spot. The board agrees. Here's board member Lance Waring. Both David and Carrie have done a great job of trying to make as many people happy as they possibly can. And this schedule, as far as I can tell, is as close as we're going to get until we actually try it and see if there's any gaps. SMART is also preparing for wider changes to the Lawson Hill route, which will switch from a 30-minute loop to a 45-minute loop after the off-season, in an effort to better keep to the schedule. 
On a wider scale, Avril anticipates increased ridership for Smart in the near future as rising gas prices push people onto public transit. The last last point I have in my history is 2007-2008, and we saw across the board a 15 to 20 percent increase in ridership when gas got to 430, 450 a gallon, whatever it was running back then. Of course, that levels out with time. You know, um, when gas gets lower, we'll probably lose some people, but there was a, a good bump. Um, coming out of that. So we are anticipating uh, more riders just based on the economic conditions. A lot of smart riders, Avril notes, are traveling long distances. So he says gas prices are more in their faces. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. The basketball season is wrapped up. This week on A Day in the Life of a Minor, Telluride High School's Finton Cole does a final check-in with basketball coach Brandon Bredlow. This is Finton Cole on your sports update. The Judy Long Memorial Field outside of the school still has snow, and Montrose Field is also a mess. So the home game against the Montrose Indians has been postponed to a later date. So our first lacrosse game is against the Santa Fe Prep Griffins at Judy Long Memorial Field. The high school soccer ladies are still waiting on the upcoming games of their season. So far, they have their first game against the Aspen Skiers on March 11th. And on March 12th, it's off to face Aspen's rival, the Basalt Longhorns. And on March 17th, they traveled to Durango and faced the Red Demons. Then they host Ignacio and Ridgeway after that. Mr. Brandon Bredlow is here to give us the regional updates. How were they? Um, our team played really hard. Unfortunately, it didn't go our way, but I couldn't be more proud of uh, the battle that we gave Sanford. So you played against Sanford. What was the final score? Uh, I think it was 44 to 29. How do you think this season went overall? Um, we started rocky, but we made big improvements, and, you know, it landed us in the playoffs because of all of our guys' hard work. Do you think you could have won more games if you tried? You know, we try every game. We're not handing wins out, but, um, you know, I think that we just had a lot of growth that needed to happen due to our team being mostly sophomores. Are the sophomores going to step up their A game into their junior year? I hope so. I am seeing a lot of off-season work at the moment, and I'm hoping that can continue into starting really strong next season. Thank you for giving us another excellent basketball season. I'm Fenton Cole reporting live from Telluride High School, and we'll see you next week. What is the future of skiing and ski culture? That's the big question writer Heather Hansman sets out to answer in her new book, Powder Days, Ski Bums, Ski Towns, and the Future of Chasing Snow. Powder Days is the Wilkinson Public Library's 2022 One Book, One Canyon read. Hansman will be in Telluride to speak about the book next week. KOTO's Matt Hoish spoke with her earlier this winter about the book and her journey in skiing. Heather, I'm going to start off with an open-ended question because this book, it's, it's, a, it's a wild book in that it's like part memoir, part journalism, part like major philosophical treatise on skiing. I mean, you really, you really get in there. And so I just, I'm going to start off with an open question. We're going to see where it goes. 
What role has skiing played in your life? That's really kind of at the heart of the book. This idea that, um, and I guess to give a little background, I'm somebody, I'm from the East Coast originally. I moved to Colorado to the Vail Valley when I was 21 to kind of chase this idea of being a ski bum and working in the mountains. In that one kind of arbitrary decision to kind of like, you know, because I had been obsessed with skiing as a kid, really has shaped my entire life since then. And that question at the heart of that, this idea of why something is sort of inherently stupid and pointless as skiing could kind of grip hold so tightly for me and for so many people as kind of the thread that wove through this this book, which is about kind of this idea of being a ski bum and living the dream and then why it's not always so dreamy. It felt important too to kind of like acknowledge the dark sides of that and the kind of not as shiny sides of that and how that can lead into this like constant sense of chase and this really hard kind of comparison factor. You know, one of the really hard things about for me, when I was living in a ski town, it was kind of like you look around and it seems like everyone else is kind of on this constant cycle of achieving and doing more and going harder and getting better. And that kind of looking around and being like, wait, am I not as good as everyone else? Well, I mean, that's like the, there's this like tension throughout the entire book, which I feel like is you saying skiing is this magical, spiritual thing from this first person experience you've had. That it is this thing that has materially changed your life. And then also looking at all the dark sides of it, both in terms of the social structures we build around it in terms of adrenaline seeking and, and kind of the, the negative hyper-masculinity that builds up around it, the exclusion of people of color. I mean, all of these things that really make skiing culture toxic in a lot of ways. And you're, you're battling with these two things, saying there's this thing I really love. There's all these things that are wrong with it. And then you, you, know, you also have this whole section on climate change and how that is just in the background really amping everything up. So just after doing all this reporting, I mean, what is your sense of what the skiing culture and the skiing industry needs to do to just be a sustainable industry and and have another 50, 100 years of of doing this thing? I think that's a really crucial question right now. And I think I I appreciate that you kind of see that tension because I feel like that's something that I, I struggled with and I still struggle with. But I think in a lot of ways, skiing feels a little anemic right now, both in terms of you know, like addressing climate in terms of what the pathways are into the sport in terms of who gets to access it because of pricing and who feels welcome too. And I think that that, like any kind of (laughs) big structural change, it kind of has to come from everywhere. It has to come from brands. It has to come from the community. It has to, you know, like I don't have a good, easy answer to that because I don't think it's an easy question. (laughs) There's no one kind of like, oh, let's flip the switch and we'll be good. I, and I couldn't tell this. I finished the book, and I actually I don't know the answer to this question, so I want to know your answer. I mean, to what extent is this book almost a eulogy for the ski bum, and to what extent is it trying to chart a path forward? I mean, how optimistic are you about the future of the ski bum, or do you just see a world where skiing just becomes dominated by upper-middle-class families going on vacation for the weekend? One of the things that was most interesting to me about doing the research is that pretty much everyone I talked to regardless of their age, was like, you know, I was the last generation that could really be a ski bum. I feel like there's always this kind of like, well, I'm just the last one who got in when the getting was good. So who's to say that that's not happening now, too? And I think there are, you know, there are pressures on it now that feel a lot harder than they have in the past, I think, even just in my experience. And I think there are real factors that make it that, you know, like climate. And that's the tension, too, right? In all of this, even though I know it's dumb and struggling, I'm still obsessed with it. And there are, yeah, it's like, I don't want that to disappear. 
That was author Heather Hansman speaking about her new book, Powder Days, Ski Bums, Ski Towns, and the Future of Chasing Snow. Hansman will give a talk about her book at the Wilkinson Public Library on Monday, March 14th at 5.30 p.m. Space is limited. Registration is available at telluridelibrary.org. It's that time of year again. Spring will soon be sprung, and daylight savings time is springing forward. On a day that can often have individuals arriving an hour late, the Telluride Ski Resort is shifting lift closings to provide a bit more convenience. With daylight savings time, lifts 1, 4, 5, and the gondola will push last chair a little later. Lifts 1 and 4 will close at 4.30. Lift 5 will close at 4 p.m. The gondola will provide access to San Sofia Station until 4.30. All other lift operation hours will remain the same. Living in San Miguel County, a conversation about mental health is never too far away. Mental health and suicide are constant realities in the community. Next week, the Center for Mental Health will be hosting a presentation and discussion surrounding suicide in the community. Mental health clinicians will lead the discussion, exploring what leads to suicide and how individuals can help stop it. The Save a Life presentation will take place at the Palm Theater at 5.30 p.m. on Thursday, March 17th. If you or someone you know is having a mental health crisis or suicidal ideation, contact the Center for Mental Health at 970-252-6220 or call the Colorado Crisis Services line at 844-493-8255. Longtime Norwood local Mo Carrier was in a sticky situation. His chimney was leaking, and finding someone to make repairs is difficult, to say the least, in San Miguel County. To Carrier's luck, two local construction companies heard about his dilemma and stepped in to help. Carrier insisted on paying for the repairs, but rather than accepting the money themselves, the companies, Trifecta Construction and Switchback Construction, took the funds, added to it, and are donating it to the Lone Cone Legacy Trust, with a challenge to the community to match the funds in Carrier's name. The Lone Cone Legacy Trust works to support the communities on Wrights Mesa. It provides grants to nonprofits and community organizations. The trust is looking to match $5,000 in Carrier's name, which will be used to help fund the 2022 community grants. Colorado lawmakers are advancing a bill to give tax credits to small businesses that advertise in local newspapers and radio stations. KOTO Scott Franz has more. Supporters say it will help news organizations boost their revenue at a time many are cutting staff and coverage because of a decline in advertising. Businesses with less than 50 employees would qualify for income tax credits. They could get up to $2,500 a year for their advertising costs in local publications. Sponsors are backing off a previous plan to also give tax credits to people who subscribe to local media outlets. Critics of the bill say they fear it could end up subsidizing political or offensive advertisements. Some are also raising concerns that advertising subsidies could benefit papers owned by large hedge funds. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. Around the country, Native groups and supporters have joined prayer runs to raise awareness for missing and murdered Indigenous people. 
A multi-day run over hundreds of miles ended in San Juan County, Utah, late last month. KZMU's Justin Higginbottom spoke with participants about the crisis. Kadisha City is walking along a two-lane road in Montezuma Creek with about a dozen others. At the front of the group, someone is holding a banner that reads, No More Stolen Sisters. We are actually walking on this Four Corners prayer run to bring awareness to the murdered missing indigenous woman and people slash persons. It's the last leg in a 232-mile run that took place over four days around the Four Corners region. Et City is from this area and runs this road often. She thinks about the missing then, too. I run out on these roads, and usually I'm by myself or I'm with my mom or like a dog. So I do think about it. It is kind of scary, but I try not to let thoughts like that get to me. (laughs) So I'm like, no, they're not going to stop me from getting my miles in. Public officials and journalists have highlighted missing and murdered indigenous in recent years. Authorities created state and federal task forces, but those walking today don't think enough is being done. And here in southeastern Utah, on the border of the Navajo Nation, help seems far away. It is a big issue because we've kind of had it recently happen to a local here. She has been found, but you know, it's still a good thing to be aware of, especially in an area like this where law enforcement and jurisdiction is an issue. There's been situations where law enforcement were needed out here, but for Navajo Nation, it took like, it takes a while for Navajo Nation to respond to help out here. And we can't contact our San Juan County either because this isn't there, because we're on Navajo Nation. Caroline Johnson is also from Montezuma Creek, and she says if there's a crime here, then Navajo Nation police come from all the way in Shiprock, New Mexico. San Juan County police are closer, but they often don't have jurisdiction. It takes anywhere maybe five to an hour or two for a police officer to come out and, you know, if we have an issue out here in Montezuma Creek, She wants to see more protection of her community. Johnson sees a connection between the problem of missing indigenous and lack of police. It would be awesome to have police officers here and then Navajo Nation also to open for someone, police from Blanding, Monticello come out and also Cortez, have them come out because they can respond quicker than our Navajo Nation cops. The group walks past a sign for missing 62-year-old Ella Mae Begay. She disappeared around eight months ago from northeast Arizona. Investigators now think she's the victim of a homicide. Just this weekend, authorities found the remains of Jamie Lynette Yazzie. She had been missing from the Navajo Nation since 2019. The finish line is at an Episcopal church. The priest here is discussing with organizers whether it's a good idea to hold upcoming Lent observances in the evening. They worry that it's not safe to travel at night. Alfredo Quintena came from Spanish Fork for today's run. Yesterday, me and my brother ran 23 miles together, and then today I ran four and a half miles. This is actually my fifth or sixth prayer run that I've done. Just try to run, you know, use my body and try to save my prayers with my body. The number of missing is hard to pin down. The FBI reports nearly 10,000 Native and Pacific Island members were reported. Those numbers are from 2018. The agency cautions against assuming all of those cases are the results of crime, but many here see nefarious causes behind those that disappear. Tina Harvey is from the Navajo Nation and has two relatives that are missing. I have a grandson. His name was Brian Nelson. He went missing from Farmington area November 7 of 2015 and 
I have a granddaughter that went missing June 15, 2021 out of Hopback, New Mexico. Her name was Renelle Rose Bennett. She has two children. Harvey says that it's her family that searches, but it's hard without support. We're trying to find a resource where we can get some funding so it can cover our gas expense, traveling expense, doing the searching. Evelyn Sosi also has a relative missing. Back in October of 2021, my niece Kimberlina Yellowhair was missing. When and how, really don't have the details, but eventually she left the house and from that day on, she hasn't been seen. And she feels the responsibility for finding her niece is also with her and her family. Some here call the women relatives that scour the desert for their loved ones anti-armies. You wonder, you know, I'm sure everybody wonders, where are they, you know, what happened, you know. You, the minute you wake up, you're thinking about them. The time you're going to bed, it's there. Where can we find them, you know? Where are they? Where are, is our next place to look? And then when you go into Farmington, anywhere, Salt Lake, for me, I travel a lot. And everywhere I go, instead of paying attention to what I'm doing, I'm looking for her out on the street. For they were afraid. The gospel of the Lord. Will you say the Lord's Prayer with me? If you think about these things and food don't taste good. You don't even want to eat. I mean, you're eating good and all of a sudden these things crosses your mind. All of a sudden you don't want to eat because you don't know if they're eating. But, you know, when, when there's emptiness and you don't know, it's just hard. The shedding of tears, who's going to cry with you? Sosi gets some comfort knowing others will hear the story of her niece today, but she won't have closure. And when she travels to Salt Lake City, she'll still be looking. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 10 degrees. Saturday should be sunny during the day and mostly clear at night with a high around 40 and a low near 20. Sunday, expect sunny skies with a high in the mid-40s. Winds could gust as high as 30 miles per hour. Sunday night, there is a 40% chance of snow showers with mostly cloudy skies and a low around 20. This has been the news for Friday, March 11th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who has donated to Kodo during our winter fun drive. A huge thank you to Benjamin Warner, Bob Meyer, Kara MacArthur, Jim and Sue Lincoln, Tom Rudolph, Clay Skinner, Chris Brooks, Kemi Nichols, Marilyn and Sam Siegel, Peggy Collins, Deborah Cutler, Cindy Obrand, Jim Looney, David Dornaus, Charles Brady III, Tim Erdman, Don and Jane Berman, Brindley Downs, Susie Mead, Kevin Malik, Patrick and Carly Latcham, Carolyn Leonard, Jojo and Danny DeSantis, Dean Bubalo, Chris Fish and Mackenzie Brewer, Becky Campbell, Dwight Kellogg, Paul Spellman, Jane and Gary Hickox, Judy Cohen, Shan Jordan, Jonathan Flaum, Pete Gavin, Catherine Jewett, 
John N. Carlotta Horn, Max Yancey, Kathy Utgard, and Penelope Gleason. Thank you all so much.